0: Liz Corey
1: and I'm Katie King and this is
0: True, True Crime, Crime New England. England
1: what's up everybody
0: hello welcome back to another episode thank you for
1: joining us in arguably the best time of the year shamrock shake season baby <laughs> that's right McDonald's back with the shamrock shake and I'm just so excited that's all that's all I personally don't <laughs> tell what are you gonna say I might not be the biggest fan of the Shamrock Shake. Guys, this is the end of our podcast. Unfortunately, we do have to stop. This is the last episode. This is Sorry. the last episode because this is that's a no, no deal for me. Wow. I feel a wall growing between us as we sit <laughs> right here. I'm building it brick by brick <laughs> while drinking the Shamrock Shake. Just kidding. But I do love Shamrock Shakes. You just don't like them? No, not really. I mean, I've tried them. I've given it the good old college try good. a couple times. Sure. All right, I guess I can get Pat I get feature. the hype. I do. do. Do you like mint chocolate chip ice cream?
0: Not really. Makes sense, then. I'm also super lactose intolerant, so the Why? last time I had one, I was, like, sipping it as I was sprinting to sure. the bathroom. So <laughs> I can see how that would deter someone from... Thank you. But we'll,
1: we'll, go to, we'll talk about it in therapy later, but I just, I'm so excited. It's my favorite time of year because I love them. And I don't go to McDonald's very often at all. But man, give me a chamois shake and I'm there. (laughs) So anyway, that's why my spirits are high today. But we also have some great news. We got some updates. We got some totals for our swear jar.
0: So Katie, fill us in. That's right. So our previous round for our swear jar was going to Black and Missing, which if you guys don't know, they're a nonprofit organization that they're just so incredible. Mm -hmm. Like we talk about a lot on our case profiles, people of color do not get the same media attention, attention from law enforcement, Mm -hmm. the whole nine yards. And they're swept under the rug. And Black and Missing is an organization that seeks to bring attention to people who are of color and missing. They actually are one of the 1st nonprofits of their kind to have a database. You can search by state, you can search by gender, you can search by name, I think. And wow. if it's in the database, you it pops right up. That's really convenient. Sends you to a link. They take submissions. Great. A lot of our case profiles have come from that website. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful. So they deserve every cent. The breakdown. <sighs> Liz, you swore 26 times which is so little compared to little that's not a lot and i had 16
1: so we've really my gram would be so proud i we've really cut down the swearing that's only 42 dollars Doesn't feel right. We'll round it up to 50. Yeah, at the very least. And we encourage you guys, of course, to also donate if you have the means. If not, even just like going on their social media and liking their posts, sharing things, that gets them not only attention, but a lot of accounts like that are also monetized. So you could also get money to them that way. True. So definitely check them out. Obviously, they're a great organization. So Fit will be sending $50 and a majority of it will be me again. And that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally good with that, but it, they definitely deserve it. So that's great. Good work. That was, we've done like five swear jars now. Yeah. This that's is right. nuts. Wow. Mm. Man. Good. I love it. It's good karma for the future. So I can do some bad things in the meantime, <laughs> kind of makes up for it, you know? And also, Crazy news, guys. If you haven't heard, obviously, you guys know we pre-record our episodes. And two episodes ago, we covered the murder of Rita Curran. And it came out on a Thursday. And on Friday, the next day, it was announced that the following week, there'd be a press conference to announce, after 50 years, who killed Rita Curran. The to-, to say we solved it is not 100% true, but we did something.
0: We must have. Isn't that... Cr- like It's crazy. Even just putting it out there into the universe. Like, I hope someone I know. finds who did this. It's been so long. It's just the, the timing was incredible. So cool. So
1: amazing, amazing news about Rita
0: Curran. The Burlington Police Department announced that the man responsible for Rita Curran's death was a man named William DeRue. Amazing. I'm so glad they could do that. He has since passed away. A long time ago, right? A long time ago. Like the 80s. He died of a drug overdose. All right, fine. (laughs) DNA testing has come so far. Yeah. They were able to take a cigarette butt found next to her body and determine it was him. That's amazing. Amazing this asshole had gotten into a fight with his wife Mm -hmm. and he lived in the apartment building she did he gets into a fight with his wife comes downstairs he must have seen rita through an open window and just in his fit of rage assaulted her Mm -hmm. beat her brutally and then murdered her before smoking a cigarette over her body and flicking the butt next to next to her that's bold Isn't that crazy? Yeah.
1: And to think that he was there the whole time. He was right under their noses. They probably interviewed him. I was just going to say, I bet you they interviewed him. Him and his
0: wife. And I bet you it wasn't a second thought. He actually was a suspect for years. And the article I, I just pulled up said that he indeed was questioned by police at the time of her murder. Yeah, yeah. He definitely
1: wasn't somebody who had a clean record either. He was not a great guy. You don't just automatically murder someone. You know, mm-hmm. you have some other things going on beforehand. Mm-hmm. And again, he brutal brutally murdered her in a very vicious
0: way. So he's a disturbed individual. His wife must have been so terrified of him yeah. to not come forward because she knew. Yeah. Of course she knew. Because what was he doing to her? Right. That he has the capacity to break into a stranger's apartment and murder them. Right. Over being enraged with his own wife. Right. That's scary. After the murder, he actually moved to Thailand and became a monk. You're fucking with me. Like, don't you have to be a good person to be a monk? I did not know that. I thought you'd have to be, like, a peaceful, good, nice person to be... I don't know. Maybe that was his way of
1: trying to get good karma? Yeah. Clearly something went wrong after that too. Cause if he died of a drug
0: overdose yeah, in America or in Thailand, do you know? He died of a drug overdose in America. Okay. Oh, in a hotel room in 1986. Okay. But before that, he left his first wife, met a second wife and she came forward after the, she had no idea about Rita Curran, mm. but she told police he strangled me too. <gasps> um, yeah. That's scary. So obviously this
1: guy is a piece of shit. But so amazing that 52 years later, they were able to pull DNA. They kept that cigarette butt. Good. Somebody was thinking back then. And you feel, I feel like in the 70s, like the early 70s, late 60s, the police weren't always thinking of that at that point. They weren't like, this cigarette butt, we should take that and keep it safe. That might not have been in their heads yet for DNA because it wasn't really a thing. So the fact that they saved that, Genius. Incredible. That's amazing. Incredible. Oh, that's wonderful. So, thank God that she got her name and her justice. And I'm just so glad for her and her family. And this poor girl, she was beautiful, shy, loving little young woman who was going to better herself, going to college a second time. Like, she was so good and to be brutally murdered just so randomly. I'm so glad she got justice after all these years. So cool. We never forgot, Rita. Great news and update in the true crime world. And in true, true crime New England style, going to bring it back down to sadness. Our case today is not at all good.
0: (laughs) It's pretty, uh, pretty...
1: Pretty awful. Yep. As you, most of you guys know, if you're regular listeners, you know that one of my favorite, quote unquote... Sub-genres of true crime is mass shootings. I don't know why. They're just very interesting to me. And that's also terrifying because there's one every fucking day now in America. But we have this guy on our list. We looked him up when we were trying to figure out what to do next. And we just had him listed as his name. And we were like, okay, who's this guy? And then
0: we were like, oh, he was a mass shooter. Okay, great. So we have one of those for you today. Yeah, it's actually the deadliest workplace shooting in Connecticut history. mm the second one is the lottery shooting of 1998, which we have covered in a previous episode. Episode 13. Mm-hmm. That was a, that's also one of my favorite episodes
1: we've done. It's a good one. You guys should go back and listen. It's, it's pretty good. Also equally terrifying and fucked up.
0: It's crazy to think that this could happen at any time. In Connecticut. It could happen tomorrow when I go to work. Like, yep.
1: It's crazy. So strap in, guys. It's a good one. And without further ado, today we will be covering Omar Thornton. All right, let's talk about Omar Thornton and his terrible, terrible crimes. Katie, what do you have for sources
0: for me today? We are kicking it off Mm -hmm. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Followed closely behind by Murderpedia. My second greatest love. Behind Wikipedia. (laughs) I also have CBS News, Reuters.com, New York Times, New York Post, and VPC.org, which is a police report of the incident. A very thorough police report of the incident. That was very helpful. Yes.
1: I, too, had Wikipedia and Murderpedia. Because as soon as you see it, you have to grab it. You have to take it by the hands and say, yes. So we got that. I got you, too. I also used the VPC.org and that's where I got most of my information because it was like 30 pages long, very, very thorough and very interesting. I also got from the Journal Inquirer, the NY Post and Reuters. So we had a lot of the same sources today. Before we start, I do want to give a disclaimer. I have an ear infection and that's why I sound a little sick. I'm getting over just a random ear infection. Like I'm a toddler. I don't know how I got it. So I do apologize that I might sound a little ill because I am. So bear with us guys, but I'm on the tail end of it. I'm on day seven of symptoms. So it should be relatively normal. Okay. Anyway, if you're listening for the first time, this is not my normal voice. (laughs) If it was, I'd probably not podcast. (laughs) Okay. Now onto the serious stuff. This is real. This is sad. Let's talk about Omar. So Omar S. Thornton was born on April 25th of 1976 in Hartford, Connecticut. He was actually born at seven months gestation. He was a preemie. So as I'm sure most of you guys know, there is nine months in a pregnancy. Technically 10, but that's neither here nor there. 40 weeks. It sounds like he was born at like 30 four like he was he was premature he was actually four pounds and 10 ounces when he was born which is fairly small i have seen that size at my work and it's i've seen smaller too and it's scary and you know it's hard a lot of that prematurity can cause a lot of problems later in life physically and mentally his mom, Lily Holiday, actually revealed that she did smoke cigarettes and marijuana through her pregnancy. Yes, this was the 70s. I don't think it really, back then it was still like you could smoke and drink while you were pregnant. A lot of people to this day smoke uh, cigarettes. Obviously, when they're pregnant, they ignore that. Um, it is an addiction. I get it. A lot of my patients that I have at work, i say like, easily more than half of them smoke marijuana as well during their pregnancies. And because it's still like a new thing with studies, a lot of moms say like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's no, you know, there's not enough studies. It's fine. Um, there's actually a lot of studies. And I work with doctors and lactation consultants and pediatricians who do say marijuana is linked to later in life learning disabilities, um, ADHD and other attention deficit disorders, um, and also behavioral problems. So PSA for you moms, if you are pregnant or you become pregnant, I would recommend not inhaling any kind of smoke and maybe avoiding like edibles because the THC will cross over to the placenta and that can cause problems later in life. Mm -hmm. But like I said there's no way lily holiday knew that in 1975 definitely so that's not on her at 5 years old omar was actually struck by a car and spent 8 days in the icu so there's your serial killer psychopath head injury right wow yeah and at 5 years old too that's that's got to no, be that's bad. ptsd for sure that's tough i'm you know scary Omar eventually, you know, not much is known about his childhood at all, basically just those two things. But what we do know is he went to Manchester High School starting in 1991, and it looks like he never graduated or got a GED. So somewhere along the way, he dropped out, whatever happened. Um... He's described as being quiet and a good worker, but he did have many jobs over the years. Most of them included warehouse jobs, driving distribution trucks. That seemed to be like his niche, and that's great. You know, those are definitely needed. So that's what he did. And unfortunately, one of the other ways he was described was as a being a mama's boy and kind of having his mom fight a lot of his battles for him, oh. which great, you have a good relationship with your mom. That's really important. But it gets to the point when your mom is fighting your battles. It can be, you just don't learn how to take care of
0: yourself. Right. And also going into too, like maladaptive relationships and extreme dependency with your mom. Exactly. Gets a little sketchy. Also some correlations there with murdering people later on. Yes, correct.
1: And again, at no fault of Lily Holiday. You know, this is just She's trying her best. She's she's taking care of her baby. He was born two months premature. He did have learning disabilities and he did have behavioral problems. So she was just looking out for him. So I get it. I do. But he, it kind of came back to bite him in the butt with his peers and stuff at work and just his work ethic and just life in general. Unfortunately, Omar did rotate through a lot of jobs, which you can kind of expect due to, like, learning disabilities and behavioral problems, unfortunately. He was known to get frustrated with the way things worked at his jobs. For example, he was working as a truck driver for Arjix Direct, and Omar refused to take a certain shipment out because he didn't like the route that it was. He said it was, like, the least favorite route, and he was assigned to it, and he was like, I hate it, so he quit. That's, you know, that's red flag. He was also described as being likable though, but sometimes had trouble with like certain tasks. So he had a job at somewhere called Chemstation New England, and they had to let him go because quote, he had too many learning disabilities and couldn't handle the chemicals safely. So that one kind of walks the line of like ableism and like not hiring workplace discrimination. Right. But also he was, his job, a part of it was to take care of dangerous chemicals and if he didn't have the mental capacity to handle that safely and it endangered others i can see why they had to make that decision yeah between march 1999 and february of 2000 omar worked as a driver for roberts express his supervisor claimed that he gave omar 245 dollars to fill up the gas tank of a truck so he was a driver um however instead omar just took the money okay so obviously That ended up getting him fired, as it should have been. He had also, apparently during this job, reported to his supervisor that the people at the delivery sites were racist. Now, hold on to that, guys. Omar is black, and it does have a lot to do with the reason why he committed this crime. Yeah. It's like the whole thing. So he, whether it was true or not, I don't have any information to back up the claim that he was being treated poorly because of his race, but that's what he claimed. In August of 2008, Omar was hired at Hartford Distributions Incorporated as a laborer in the warehouse. It was at this time that the organization was actually anticipating a strike, so he was kind of hired with a whole bunch of people as like, okay, quick, we need replacements. The strike didn't end up happening, but he still remained employed there. In the summer of 2009, he actually had expressed that he thought he was going to be a tri- driver for the company because he had experience in that, and they had helped him, like, you know, they were going to help him get his CDL license or whatever. And he didn't seem to concept the grasp of seniority and like that. He was kind of, cause he was a new hire on the bottom of the list to kind of move up to that position. So when they explained it enough, he finally got it. He was still so frustrated, but he still felt he was being discriminated. And he thought the reason why he still wasn't trained in that was because of his race. That's what he thought. But really it was because of seniority in this Police document goes over that really clearly about how their seniority worked and what it took to get to that point to be a driver and have these routes that everyone liked. So he thought he was getting the worst, quote, loads, aka the worst routes because he always had last pick in the morning. It's because he was the last, he was the newest hire. He didn't have seniority. He didn't get, you know, the first, the person who's been there 30 years is going to get the easy route, right? So he thought that was a part of his race which is untrue.
0: On August 3rd, 2010, Omar is 34 years old at this time, and he was called into human resources at 7 a.m. to be disciplined. He had been caught on surveillance footage stealing beer from the Hartford Distributors warehouse. They also accused him of stealing empty beer kegs. Mm-hmm. Now, Hartford Distributors is a family-owned business and wholesale distributor. They mostly have wine and Budweiser beer. Omar had been with the company for two years now, and he was still their newest truck driver. Yeah. Because it's a family-owned business, a lot of their employees stayed with them for years and years and years. So it's not difficult to climb the ranks, but usually in a setting like this, you would wait for somebody to retire, and then the next person moves up because their turnover rate was really not that high.
1: Wow. Yeah. Which is good for a company. Yeah, definitely.
0: That obviously for someone like Omar,
1: maybe that wasn't so easy to grasp.
0: For sure. And it's probably hard being a new hire where everybody knows each other and they've been with each other for years. And then you're the new guy and you are in conversations and you have no idea what everybody's talking about. And they all go out for drinks after and they don't invite you because they don't know you. Right. So it's it's hard. It's really hard.
1: I feel that way, you know, with my job now. Like I I was the youngest and the newest for a while.
0: So I I totally get that. It's tough. It is. After showing Omar the video surveillance footage of him stealing. There was more than one. It was a frequent occurrence. They're showing him proof. They're not saying, oh, we heard through the grapevine that you did this. Yeah. It is, hey, Omar, sit down with us and we're going to review with you video surveillance footage of you stealing yeah. on multiple occasions. The company actually gave Omar two choices. They said you could either, one, get fired. We're going to fire you. You're stealing all over the place and this will go on your record. Or two, you can sign these papers and resign And it won't go on your record, and everything will be okay. We'll even give you a reference. Mm -hmm. Just sign, and we'll walk you out to the parking lot. No hard feelings. Mm -hmm. Which is
1: honestly kind of generous, because he was stealing product from them. His stealing was hardcore. It was. He was taking whole-ass kegs of beer and giving them to some guy who used to work there, and, like, this whole thing. Just, it was... Poorly executed by him, but... So offering him, like, a get-out-of-jail-free is pretty generous.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So Omar actually agreed to quit. He signed the resignation, and he began to be escorted out of the building. Great. Omar never made it outside. No. He grabbed two Ruger SR9 semi-automatic pistols out of his lunchbox and just started shooting. Yeah. He went
1: on a rampage, essentially.
0: Legislative Affairs Representative John Hollis stated he came in to meet with the company, and after that, all hell broke loose. He pulled the gun and ran through the warehouse. Mm -hmm. This was a really shitty time of day to be doing that because it's the busiest time of the day. Yeah, they were all loading up their trucks, getting ready to go out. Not good. And it was shift change. Yeah. So, everybody is in the building. Night shift is being relieved by day shift. Mm -hmm. Everybody's there. Yeah. There was a survivor. He was in the meeting. His
1: name was Steve Hollander. And his account of the attack is largely a part of this report. So in this meeting, it was Omar, duh, a man named Louis Felder, who was a higher up in the hartford distribution company and then also a man who was named brian Cirigliano who was the union steward um for the organization and then so it was the and steve hollander so these three men with omar so as steve recalls they're walking him out of the office steve is walking forward he's going towards a different place and then the other men are going towards the kitchen you know presumably Omar's going to get his stuff whatever and that's when you hear gunshots and all of a sudden what the hell is happening so suddenly steve says that he could hear lewis screaming omar you can't and then a gunshot fired so Already it's like, and this is happening in seconds. It's not a, it's not a semi-automatic gun, I believe. I think he just was firing, you know? And, um, so after he heard Lewis yell that he heard the gunshot and then he heard Brian say, Omar, no, Omar, no. Before another gunshot rang out and Brian stopped yelling. So I'm sure at this point, Steve was running, going to go hide. And he probably could assume just by how he suddenly stopped talking that maybe he was shot and so Steve went into an office area. He actually went into um an old office that belonged to his dad and he hid and he called 911. He was able to call 911, which is good. And he's also freaking out at this point because his son works there and his son had a dis like a mental disability and was he just like worked there, he did small things and it was great for him. And he was there that day and he was freaking out about his son. Because his son might not have known to run or might not have known what to do. So he was, like, worried about that. Spoiler alert, his son is just fine. But he was calling 911 and he was like, oh, my God, I can't, I, yeah. And that's when he realized,
0: oh, Steve had
1: also been shot.
0: On his 911 call, oh, my God. Yeah. So he's stating, we need the cops. I got shot. Get the cops here immediately. I'm bleeding all over the place. Yeah dispatch is asking him okay stay calm what's going on describe to me the situation he stated i'm shot in the head i'm hiding in an office people are running all over the place and then he told dispatch the shooter was omar yeah in the background you could hear omar continuing to shoot yeah steve then said he's shooting at a girl oh oh shit he's still shooting and then he says i just fired him yeah so now dispatch knows kind of more of what's going on.
1: Immediately, they can probably assume, oh, it's a disgruntled ex-employee. Mm.
0: Another female co-worker who remained anonymous called in from her hiding spot in the closet oh. where she told police the shooter was, quote, a tall black guy. He's like the only black guy who works here. Yeah. Steve had actually been shot in the jaw Ugh. and his left arm Somehow, he only needed stitches to the wound on his jaw. Yeah. Which, like, holy shit. It was crazy. So it's kind of speculated that he himself wasn't shot at, but rather the bullet was a stray bullet that ricocheted from Lewis Felder. Yeah. Yeah. Because Lewis was shot on the side of his head mm-hmm. and again in his neck when he was already on the ground. Yeah. So they're thinking that the bullet kind of grazed Steve. Yeah. It's
1: awful. It's terrible. And it sounds like, and that makes sense because Lewis's, um, Lewis's bullet wounds, that bullets had exited, um, unlike some of the other victims. So it's speculated, like you said, that maybe it came from his head, you know, like a kill shot and then it grazed Steve and by some miracle he just needed those stitches crazy and so s- scary and
0: ptsd to the max like that's unbelievable survivors guilt too almost always with shootings like you no. think maybe if i wasn't hiding maybe i could have done more maybe i could have done this like yeah. it's
1: uh, it's so hard to not think like that when you're in a situation but how do you know you don't know at that time not everyone has to be a hero right right So when emergency personnel arrived, and they did pretty quickly, the horrible scene, it had been barely, it had been minutes, and they didn't know what they were walking into to a full extent, because they didn't know where the shooter was. They knew that there was at least one man shooting, and he was described as black, tall male. Could there be more? How many guns did he have? How many bullets did he have? Uh, Was he willing to die by suicide by cop? Was he, what was what was happening? Did he have targets? Was he just doing willy-nilly? So they're going into that, and that's terrifying. I can't even imagine. And they come onto the scene, and they find already, like, in the lobby area, victims. And the thing about the lobby area is once you go out of the lobby doors, they lock behind you, so you can't go back in unless you have, like, a badge or a key or whatever. So once they were out there, they were stuck.
0: Oh, God. And Omar
1: knew that. <gasps> So he used that to his advantage, his sick, sick advantage, and shot out there. So the first victim that they came upon was a man named Victor James. He was actually, he was alive. He received two gunshot wounds to his back. Both bullets had exited his body. And unfortunately, at 9 a.m., about like an hour or two hours after he was shot and the whole thing happened, he died. So he unfortunately succumbed to those bullet wounds. and. So awful. Another survivor. His name was Jerome Rosenstein. He was shot in the driveway, and he had been shot three times: one to his left buttock, which then lodged into his lower abdomen, and then two in his left arm. He was taken to the hospital, where he went into surgery immediately. But he survived. I believe he. It, they said that he had a lot of surgeries in the future. Like he kept having surgeries he is multiple. Yeah. Because if you have a bullet in your abdomen, what a lot of people don't really think about is obviously you have a lot of organs there, but you have like the branching out of like your aorta and a lot of, you know, very important parts that go to the heart and stuff. Um, And you have like your liver, which you need and your digestive tract. So it's very, it can be very disruptive to your body.
0: Especially if an organ itself is punctured and or grazed and starts spewing out toxic shit that you don't need in the rest of your body (laughs) right yeah it can be bad lots of problems yeah so that's he had to live with that of
1: course for the rest of his life knowing he was in the shooting and injured but also having to keep having surgeries because of the damage that was caused so he survived but he didn't live a easy life afterwards Steve, Victor and Jerome were the only victims that were taken away by ambulance the rest of them that they came upon were dead Besides, obviously, the survivors who weren't shot and were hiding. They, of course, were fine. But everyone else that had been shot was dead.
0: Edwin Kennison Jr.'s body was found just in front of the main doors in the lobby, and he was identified by his driver's license. That's always shitty. So shitty. He had sustained gunshot wounds to the back, front of his shoulder, and the back of his head. Hmm. Douglas Scruton was found next to a burning forklift in the warehouse with significant burns to his body and a single bullet wound to his head. A little more on that later. Yeah. Just a tad more on that later. Yeah. In an aisle in the south loading docks, the body of Craig Pepin was found with a bullet wound to the upper left side of his back and an exit wound on the right side of his neck. Mm. I
1: When I was reading through this, I was trying to picture... Like where on my own body, I was like, okay, so it went in here. How did it get in here? And you're reading these things and you're like, holy shit, how painful, how awful. For example, with Edwin Kennison Jr., the medical examiner said that the bullets didn't leave his body. So you're thinking like, okay, they're shot. Obviously, this is a very quick succession. It happens very quickly. But those bullets, they go in and then they find their way around and they mess shit up. It's very scary. So these poor,
0: oh, I can't even imagine. Awful. In the recycling area, the body of Francis Fazio was found. He had been shot in the back twice, with the second bullet severing his spine and lodging itself in the back of his throat. That's... I hate that. What the fuck? How do you even do that to a person? And
1: especially while you're running and frantically shooting, that's incredible aim. Incredible being, of course, like, just not incredible.
0: With the accuracy and to sever someone's spine? Brutal. Near the trash compactor, William Ackerman was found with three gunshot wounds to his head. He also had a fourth gunshot wound to his right hand, possibly sustained as he was trying to defend himself or beg Omar to stop. Yeah. Like holding up his hand. Yeah. The sad part about him was that he was one of the men who didn't have his license
1: on him, so he had to be identified by a photograph from his fiance. I know. So sad. It's awful.
0: Can you imagine, like, just thinking about all the mass shootings and being a family member or a loved one, not knowing and having to provide a photograph or go in and identify a body or DNA. Like, oh my God. It makes me think of Sandy Hook and those little
1: five and six-year-olds and those parents having to go in and identify their shot
0: and murdered little babies. It's so sad. It's awful. Louis Felder's body was found in the office near the body of Brian Sergliano, who had been shot once in the back of his head and a second time in the face. It's thought that he was shot in the face when he fell backward Mm -hmm. after being shot the first time in the head. Yeah. He probably was dead at that point, or at least not conscious.
1: So overkill to the max. And very personal.
0: Lewis was the one who potentially could have been the first victim. Mm-hmm. We're thinking that one of the bullets that left Lewis was one that shot Steve, like right. we said before. Right. Lewis was shot in the side of his head and again in his neck. Yeah. And it looks like, too, that
1: he had also been shot at close range while he was on the ground. So Omar, he's, he had a mission and he was ready to kill. That's personal. Very personal. And now we get to the last, I'm not going to say victim of this shooting, but the last death of this shooting, which happened to be Omar himself. Unsurprisingly, to be quite truthful, you, you have a lot of mass shooters who you get different vibes from them. Like, do they want to die by suicide by cop? Do they plan on killing themselves? And to me, reading through this, I was thinking he's definitely going to kill himself. And that's exactly what he did but not before making some phone calls. So Omar found his way into an empty office that belonged to a woman named Linda Davidson. And he used Linda's work phone to call his mom. And he called her three times. And finally, she called back within like 10 minutes. According to his mom, Lily Holiday, who we mentioned before, Omar told her that he had, quote, shot five of the most racist ones, quote, and that he was going to kill himself. Lily also stated that he knew police had entered the building and that he couldn't take going to jail, so he was just going to kill himself. So then Omar hung up with his mom and he proceeded to call 911. This was at 7.55 a.m. and the shooting had started at like 7.30-ish. It had been pretty quick and that's how it often goes. While on the phone with Connecticut State Trooper William Taylor, Omar confessed to to being the shooter himself. And the reason he did it was because, quote, it was a racist place. He ranted about how the company had treated him bad and all other black employees bad, which is interesting because you said he was the only one who worked there. There were other people like um, of Hispanic origin and like Asian race, you know, other people of color, but he was, I guess the only black person in this warehouse. And obviously you can of course be racist to other races. So I think he was probably encompassing that, but he did specify all other black employees and He reasoned that, quote, he had to take it into his own hands and handle the problem. So then Omar told Trooper Taylor that he didn't plan on killing anyone else. Don't worry. And after a 244 second phone call, Omar asked Trooper Taylor to, quote, tell his people that he loved them and that he had to go now. Which I hate this man. I hate him. He did awful things and he's the worst. But saying, I have to go now, that's sad. It's sad. It's sad. And clearly, you know, he was had all these things in his life and he was not mentally right and he did this awful thing but just to say that is sad at 8:06 a.m. officers said that they saw a figure in the window of Linda's office and they were like oh shit so they said come out whoever you are come out with your hands up shortly after that they heard a voice that was kind of like they couldn't really hear what he was saying because it was kind of muffled and then they f- heard a popping sound and then nothing At 8.12 a.m., they were able to go into Linda's office and Omar was found dead by way of single gunshot wound to the back right side of his head. He had made it very clear to several people, including his mom, his girlfriend, and Trooper Taylor, that the reason behind his massacre was racism.
0: Omar's girlfriend, Christy, said that Omar had been acting, quote, strangely the night before the shooting and said that, quote, he seemed like he was in a daze and that he had a lot on his mind. He also was acting strangely the morning of the shooting, and he kept telling her that he loved her and was extra affectionate towards her, which makes me think that he knew exactly what he was going to do before he left the house. I think you're right. When news of the shooting broke, as well as Omar's potential motives, that he said over the phone, you know, I'm doing this because this is a racist place, these are racist people, Christy was able to elaborate on some of the racism that Omar said he was experiencing. She said that Omar had seen a picture someone drew of President Obama hanging from a noose as well as racist phrases next to the picture of President Obama written on the wall of one of the bathrooms at work. Hmm. She also said that on one day last fall when she was on the phone with Omar while he was at work, Omar... Kept her on the phone while he was texting her, and he was texting her, "Listen, you know, listen to what's going on in the background. Just stay on the phone with me and listen." The conversation in the background was with two men, one of whom is speculated to be one of the owners of the company. Mm. They were both laughing, and allegedly they said, "Quote: We're going to get rid of that dumb n-word." Yikes! If he's the only black person there who else could that be directed to right and with the graffiti like who right with the graffiti the racist sayings you know some people were saying okay well the racist sayings could be directed towards president obama right who was drawn i can't imagine seeing that as a black person no like that that's horrific yeah Of course, the company and union officials denied the allegations of racism, and the union reported that Omar had never filed any complaints regarding racism in the workplace. Hmm. Which, to me, too, that could go one of two ways. Because, you know, if you... That doesn't really
1: mean anything if you don't file something.
0: Exactly. You could experience anything all day long and not file it for whatever reason. For whatever reason, it's you're afraid Mm -hmm. you
1: you're internalizing it you don't want to lose your job you think that it'll cause trouble you're planning to murder you know like it could be for any reason definitely it doesn't i think that's a not a something that they should look at like that
0: especially when omar's uncle will holiday came forward and said omar felt he was singled out as the only black person And that, quote, he went to the union a couple of times with issues concerning what was going on, and it was not dealt with appropriately. Hmm. Omar's girlfriend also elaborated on an incident where Omar came home from work very upset. Hmm. She asked him what was wrong. He said, one of the guys at work hit me with a forklift. Oh, my God. Which makes me wonder if the man that hit him with the forklift was the man that was lying next to the burning forklift. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. This whole thing with the forklift, it got pretty out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah. The person who did hit Omar with the forklift, it was proven that, okay, yes, he did hit him. Was it intentional? That's debated. Right. The person who hit him with the forklift was saying, I wasn't paying attention. I'm so sorry. Omar got in my way. Omar said he was fooling around. He was like moving really fast with the forklift, being reckless. He he said that of the driver? Of the driver of the forklift that hit him. Okay. And then Omar had mentioned that in one of the company policies that if you are messing around with a forklift, that's grounds for termination. I can see that. The person that hit him with the forklift was just reprimanded. He was not terminated. Okay. So that led Omar to believe that he was either targeted mm-hmm. or that the company is biased against who they right. terminate right, and how strictly they follow their policies based on the employee. Right. And there's no proof that that happened because of his race.
1: I think he's really stuck on the racism part, which fair. I mean, you know that you can feel discriminated and maybe you are, but I think he's starting to kind of be like, Oh, you did that cause I'm black. Like that kind of thing. And I think that's what
0: happened here. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it wasn't because of his race, especially if he has a track record of, Stealing from companies, doing things wrongly in companies and companies addressing the issues. And then he's saying, no, this is an act of racism. Right. Could he have been experiencing racism in the workplace? I don't doubt it. Absolutely. Especially with, you know, all of the other evidence. You know, it's kind of hard to work with someone who you know is racist, even if you don't know who drew that picture of President Obama hanging you know that you have to go into a workplace and potentially face racism yeah. because you know that someone you work with has those feelings yeah, and that has to be scary of going course. into work. Huh. Should you shoot people? No. No. Never. Literally never. And it also doesn't feel like all of his victims were targeted. It doesn't feel like in that short amount of time he had a list of people and he was going around specifically... To those people. Yeah. I think he was, when he
1: called the 911 operator and said he killed the most racist ones, I think he was referring to Lewis Felder and Brian Sergliano because they were higher-ups. And he probably thought he killed Steve, too, Mm because he saw maybe that the, you know, and I think that's what he meant by that. I think he thought that the higher-ups were, like you said, maybe that the reason why this forklift driver was just reprimanded was because the company itself was racist. So I can see why he would think that it
0: starts targeted and then he's just going rampant. Definitely. Mm-hmm. He also stated on the 911 call, quote, I wish I got more people. Which is awful. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's terrible. Forensic psychiatrist Keith Abloh stated, quote, I've evaluated plenty of murderers during my career and I can tell you that people don't commit atrocities because of name calling. Yeah. But somebody who's mentally
1: ill or has behavioral problems or learning disabilities doesn't understand, like, the concept even of, like, seniority and thinks that he's being given shitty assignments because he's African-American. Like, I could see maybe why he would take it that far. Like, maybe it was, but I think that forensic psychologist is right. Just because of name-calling, I think it was, yeah, that's probably
0: not Yeah, the straw that broke the camel's back. A police investigation also did not find proof of racism at Hartford Distributors, which to me, I'm taking that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Other minority employees of Hartford Distributors interviewed by police disagreed with Omar's statements that it was a racist workplace. Hmm. That I'm also kind of taking with a grain of salt. Because of course you'd deny that. Right. Number one, of course. Of course. And number two, if he's the only Black person, his experiences are going to be different than someone of another race. Right. Especially with graffiti targeted towards his race. Yeah. I feel like he, especially with him having learning disabilities and being in Connecticut, mm-hmm. which is not the most diverse of states, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if he was more of a victim of racism, especially with like bullying. Yeah. It's hard having a learning disability. Of course. I'm wondering if he was bullied as a child. Sure. I can 1000% see kids being awful to him yeah oh sure i can definitely see him being the victim of racism leading up to this yeah so i'm thinking that with him not being completely mentally sound
1: mm-hmm.
0: it just, it's a perfect storm
1: it just built and it built and it yeah. built yeah yeah because he was only in his 30s yeah so it's like you know he it just had a, a lifetime of feeling that way yeah Yeah. Does that mean he should have shot and killed eight people? No. No, not even a little. But but why does anyone do anything like that? It sucks. And he, of course, took the little bitch way out and killed himself and cannot speak on more what he did, which is unfortunate as far as, like, investigation goes and justice for the families. Definitely. But, you know that's often how it goes with these situations. Same thing with Adam Lanza and the um, Sandy Hook shootings. And the same thing with the Las Vegas shootings. He killed himself in his hotel room and it's just, that's the easy way out. Yeah. And so you don't have to answer for your crimes and you leave eight, twenty-four, a hundred people asking why, why? And there, there's no answers.
0: The victims of the Hartford Distributors shootings are 49 year old Edward Kennison, 50 year old Louis Felder, 51 year old William Ackerman, 51 year old Brian Sergliano, 56 year old Douglas Scruton, 57 year old Francis Fazio, 60 year old Craig Pepin and 61 year old Victor James. Not in the order they were killed, mm-hmm. but in the order they appear in a picture that I have of them that will be up on the Website and our Instagram.
1: Yes. And also, of course, the survivors, Jerome Rosenstein and Steve Hollander. And that is the terrifying story and horrible crime of Omar S. Thornton and the Hartford distribution shootings, which is also um, sometimes how it's referred to. It's awful. It's I it's scary, I think, is just the ultimate end of that, because I mean, this happened in 2010 Obviously, mass shootings, of course, were a thing, but now in America, they're so much more prevalent that truly anywhere, anywhere you could be and at any point, you could
0: you could be in a mass shooting. It's one of my biggest fears, truly. Absolutely. Every time I leave the house. Yeah. Even driving. Oh, yeah. Especially in New England, New Hampshire, especially. I feel like everybody has a gun. Uh, the
1: stand your ground law, the open, like everyone in New Hampshire that, has, like, even one square acre of land has a gun. And that's a lot of people. And if they have a truck, gun. If their mom, you know, worked in a fort, gun. (laughs)
0: Everyone has a gun. If your mom's name starts with the letter A through Z, Z. (laughs) gun. It's true, though. It's I feel like I'm going to get into a car accident or I'm going to, like... Someone cuts me off and then I flip them off. And the next thing I know, I'm like, yeah, road rage incidents. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and I feel that way a little bit in Maine, too, because just for example, like I'm on Tinder and every guy is a it's a picture of him in a truck. He's got a hat on, he's got country music as his favorite, and there are always pictures of them at a shooting range with a deer they shot, and that's okay. I mean, hunting is fine, and, you know, target practice, whatever, but they just all have guns and beards. Not a big fan, but the guns! It's like, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And I hate it. (laughs) Uh, It's no secret to you guys, if you listen to us, that we are not fans of guns, I personally would never own a gun. I'm scared of them in my own possession. I would not feel comfortable having a gun just because I I know myself and, you know, depression is a thing. And I'm not saying I have suicidal thoughts, but it's very easy to have something happen that you're just like, well, I'm feeling really upset and this is here. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like guns. It's also too easy to go out and purchase a gun. That's (laughs) Go to Walmart. (laughs) Go to, right over to Wally World, purchase a gun. In some places like Wally World, you don't need a gun license. You don't need any. It's ridiculous. And if you guys are disagreeing with us right now, probably just politely turn the podcast off and come back next week because there's no gun involved. <laughs> but it's just stories like this, it should open people's eyes to maybe the danger of gun
0: laws. I think he, the guns he had were obtained legally, Yeah, but he also, he actually owned many guns. Many guns. Which, I don't understand that either. Like, what is the need to own eight different, like... And also,
1: he owned several different mental disabilities. And why did he have guns paired? It's just not a good... As someone with a mental illness... I'm like, don't uh, get the no gun. Done. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go shoot anyone. I'm not going to shoot myself. But there's even the slightest possibility that one day I just feel so depressed. Whatever. Don't give any, like, background background, background checks. To- Make it harder. We could... Can- all day long, guys. Yeah. And we, But we won't. We'll save... We'll stop it here. We're almost at an hour. We'll stop <laughs> it here. It was already a shitty episode. It was, like, so <laughs> deep. And obviously, you guys who know us or if it's the first time you're listening to us, we try not to rant so much like that, but there's a few things we're passionate about and we're not going to be quiet about gun control for sure. And I don't care what you, you know, what, if this stirs some straws, because I don't think anyone could defend Sandy Hook, Las Vegas, the Paris shootings,
0: anything like that. At the end of the day,
1: no, it's a lot of senseless lives.
0: Right, and this is also, what, our 82nd episode? Yes. This is not the first time we've talked about our feelings about guns. So if you're new here, hey, I'm Liz, that's Katie. Uh, We
1: have some strong opinions, and if you don't like them, again, politely turn it off and go to a different episode. Give us another chance. We're funny, (laughs) and we got good information. If you do happen to agree with us and you want to continue the discussion, and only if you're going to be nice... You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at True NE. All lowercase. Or you can send us a polite email at TrueCrimeNE at gmail.com.
0: We also have a website, TrueCrimeNE.com. We have a handy dandy submission tool where you can be anonymous if you so choose. Leave your name if you like. You could continue the polite discussion there. You could also politely suggest cases to cover based in New England, please. You could politely share your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. And yeah, just chat with us. We're open
1: always to discussion and also just talking. And as we've said before, we answer all the social media. It's all, we are it. This is it. It's you and me, Katie. We, we're our own business. So if you guys email us, if you DM us or you comment and we reply, it's one of us. So just keep that in mind. You know, it's not going through levels of people that maybe like we would never see it. It's just, you know, no, no, we see it. We see it all. I promise. Oh, yeah. So if you send us an email and you want to reply and we haven't yet, send another one. to be like, hey, I sent this case and I want to make sure you got it. Okay, fine. Totally fair. We try and respond to every single email. Some days we get a lot. And it can be hard because people will email us be- like long, beautiful descriptions and their own personal things. And it's great. And we want to give back in that same energy and give you a long appropriate response back. Sometimes it can be difficult, but so if you want, you know, you sent an email, you want to see it, just, you know, forward it again, give us a little nudge. we will get to you, I promise, because we adore you guys. We love you very much, and we're so thankful to have everyone here with us as we continue creating True Crime New England and growing, and growing together. And with that, We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.